We have been in a series together for the last eight or nine weeks now that I've been calling Guarding the Heart. And our foundation for this has been in the book of Proverbs chapter four. While you look for Luke eight, we'll put this on the screen for you. But let me just remind you what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter four in verse 20. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they, talking about his words, are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. It's astounding to me that this was a conversation between a father and a son but yet it's the Spirit of God speaking through this father to his son. And God chose to make this man's words his own words. These are God's words. So it's more than just a parental talk. It's more than just a, a, a lecture. I don't know how Solomon's son was taking it at the time. I know how I took some lectures I was given as a young man. But... All these thousands of years later, we see these are God's words, and this is him, our father, speaking to us, his children. And he's saying the same thing to us. My son, my daughter, pay attention. Give attention to my words. Give attention to my words, he said. And I believe the Lord's saying to us, look, I know there's a lot of other words you could be listening to. I know there are a lot of other voices that are begging for your attention but pay attention to mine. Incline your ear to mine. He said, don't let them, don't let my words depart from your eyes. Keep them, keep my words. There's that word we've been looking at, keep it. Keep them in the midst or in the middle of your heart for they, my words, are life to those who find them. You realize what a small group of people that actually is? God's words are life, yes, but they're not everybody's life. His words, all you have to do is look around and you can tell, are not bringing life to everybody. His words are bringing life to this very small group of people, those who find them. And finding is just simply the result of seeking, prioritizing, searching, going after his words. And if you will seek his words, you will find them and they'll be life to you. They will be health to your flesh. Health, uh, you look it up, it literally means medicine. His words are medicine, but they're not everybody's medicine. You can tell. Who, who, is, who are the ones that are being affected by God's words like medicine affects a body? It's those that incline their ear to it. Those who keep them in front of their eyes. Those who keep his words in their heart. They're the ones who are being ministered to by the word. They're the ones who are getting life and health and medicine to all their flesh. And then he said to him in verse 23, keep your heart. Keep your heart with all, dil all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart. So when he told him to keep it, this is what he was saying, guard it. That's what the word keep literally means, to guard it. Set up a guard over your heart. Guard your heart above all else. In other words, more than anything else you guard, guard that heart. More than any other system of protection that you set up over your physical well-being, over your health, over your mental well-being, guard the heart. 
There's so much talk right now in the world we live in about your mental health and mental health awareness. Have you been hearing this so much? And everybody's got a story right now about mental health. And it's this great priority put on your mental health. But listen to me. If you'll guard your heart, your mental health will be just fine. If you'll guard your heart. If you'll guard your heart, it'll protect this physical body. Do you realize that so much sickness and so many diseases that people deal with are actually heart issues? They're heart, they're things that have gotten into the heart and taken root and produced actual physical sickness and disease. And this is what the Lord's been dealing with us about for eight or nine weeks now. And I can sense that we're kind of coming to the stopping point in this here over the next week or so. But one of the things you need to make note of and realize, particularly if you've been, if things have just been hanging around for a long time. If it's been something that's been ongoing, either a, a, a pain or a sickness or a lack, a shortage of any kind, and it just seems like it's not being fixed, it's, it's not going away, go back to the heart. Get honest before the Lord. Father, is there something going on in my heart? Is there a heart root issue to this that needs to be addressed? And so often, so much of the time there is. That's why we've got to protect the heart. Guard the heart more than you guard anything else. Guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. If my heart is determining the course of my life, I don't want anything in it that would take me in the wrong direction. This is why we must protect it. Somebody say, my heart, my heart. is worth protection. It's worth protecting. The uh, Young's, literal Young's literal translation said, above every charge Keep thy heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. And finally, the God's Word translation says it like this. Guard your heart more than anything else, because the source of your life flows from it. These things are so foundational. The, these things are some of the most basic things that you and I need to have and to know when it comes to living and walking by faith. So much of it is heart issue. And we've made a big deal, and, and rightly so, out of out of making the right confession. We talked all about sowing seeds. All of these things are important. There are things that have become so ingrained in what many call the message of faith. But listen to me, if the heart's not right, none of this practicality, none of the speaking, none of the sowing, none of it's gonna produce anything if there, are, if there are things going on in the heart that are keeping it from working. I hope I'm saying this the right way. All I'm trying to get across to you is get back to the heart. Go back to the heart and find out what's going on there. Protect it. And we've been looking in the book of Luke chapter 8. We've looked at Matthew 13, Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. So go back to Luke 8 with me. Jesus told this parable... And without taking time to go back through all of it, I encourage you to, to spend some time studying it for yourself because there are master keys in this parable that unlock so many truths throughout the word of God. And this crowd had gathered to hear Jesus and he began to speak to them in parables saying, behold, or look, a sower went out to sow. And he began to talk about the seed that fell on all these kinds of ground. He said, some seed fell on the wayside ground and the birds came and devoured it. He said, some seed fell on stony ground. 
He said it sprang up immediately, but because it had no depth of earth, it didn't take root. When the sun was up, it scorched it and immediately it withered away. Then he talked about thorny ground. Some seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and it choked it and it was unfruitful. And like we've already said for weeks on in here, if you were to stop right there, you might think, man, there's something wrong with this seed, right? I mean, it's not producing. If you don't know anything about ground and you don't know anything uh, about what, what the ground is dependent upon to, to do and reproduce, then you might just think something's wrong with this seed. But the moment this seed, Jesus said, fell on good ground and produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, that's the moment you know there's nothing wrong with the seed, right? So then his disciples pulled him aside and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And that's when Jesus said, look, if you don't understand this one, how then will you understand any of them? And that's why I say to you, there are master keys in what Jesus just said. And it's so simple. He said, the sower sows the word. So the seed he was talking about was the word of God. And right then that ought to tell you nothing wrong with this seed, nothing wrong with the seed. And God in, in designing the earth and creating the earth, this is the system he put in place and everything, whether you're talking spiritual or natural operates on this system right here, seed. Seeds that get sown, seeds that take root, and seeds that produce. Everything works by the seed. And we know this in the natural, that every seed reproduces after its own kind. So whatever you sow within that little seed is the potential to produce and produce more and more and more of it. Well, the same thing's true spiritually. You and I are born again by an incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So everything the word has within it, has, it has the potential to produce all of that in your life. The seed has the potential to produce salvation. It has the potential to produce your joy and your peace. And it has the potential to produce healing and abundance of every kind. That, all of that is in the seed, which leaves people going, okay, yes, amen, I believe that. But why ain't it working in my life? Where's, where it's at? Where's the fruit? I'm ready for some of it. Well, you know, by now, nothing wrong with the seed. So if there's nothing wrong with the seed, where do you have to go? Go look at the ground. And Jesus began to explain, here's why it's not working. Here's why it's not producing. And I wish people would just look to this because there's so many, too many frustrated Christians going, it's not working. It's not working. Why isn't this working? It's not working. It's not working. And that breeds frustration. And sadly, religion offers no answers, no good ones anyway, right? Why isn't this working? And some preacher tells him, well, God in his sovereignty chooses to do for some and not for others. Folks, I am not satisfied with that answer. It doesn't satisfy me on the inside. It doesn't satisfy my spirit. And other, others have said, well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. It does for these and not for those. If that's the case, I quit. I'm done, man. I mean, what's the point? There's got to be more to it. And there is. Jesus is about to make it so abundantly clear to us. Let me tell you what the issue is. There's something going on in the heart.
And when he talked about all these kinds of grounds, he was talking about different kinds of hearts. And he said, these are those who heard the word and didn't understand it. He said, that's like it being sown on that wayside, that hard packed ground where the seed couldn't penetrate. He said, that's not good ground. It can't reproduce. Well, if, if bad ground, for lack of a better word, is hard, what do you know about good ground? Soft. And we talked about that last week. Tender. Receptive. Um, Jesus went on to say that um, the ones that were sown on stony ground, where they didn't have much depth of earth, he said it sprang up. These are people who heard the word and received it with joy, he said. They got excited about it, but the problem was there was no depth. And where there was no depth, it didn't take root. And Jesus said, as soon as some tribulation and persecution showed up, they got offended and they disconnected from it and it produced nothing for them. He also said there was seed that got sown among thorns. And we talked all about how those thorns are the cares of this world. And the problem is the word got sown and that's good, but something else got in too. And I encourage you to go back, take a listen to all these things and refresh yourself on it. But I want to go to Luke chapter 8, verse 15, and talk one more time about good ground. Somebody say good ground. Because that's what we desire to be, right? That's what we want to be. And by the grace of God, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we are good ground. I'm looking at some good dirt up in this church. Amen. That's what we want to be is good ground. Good ground. In Luke 8, verse 15, Jesus talks more about good ground. And he said, the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and a good heart. Other translations say honest. So good ground is honest. And if you'll take time, just in one verse, Jesus is amazing to me. Just in one verse, he contrasts good ground with every other kind of ground. He talked about those who heard the word with an honest heart. That's different than a hard heart. Because if somebody will hear the word of God and be honest about it, they'll say, I need that. They'll say, I want that. They'll say, that's my answer. Honesty will receive the word. He said, those who heard it, uh, having heard the word with a, a noble and a good heart. So there you see good ground, good heart. This is what they do. They keep it. What did Proverbs chapter four say? Keep, keep my words in your heart. Keep your heart, guard it. What's Jesus saying? This is good ground. The people that keep it. The people that guard it, the people that hear the word and hold on to it. The ones that hear the word and keep it, listen to these words, and bear fruit with patience. This is good ground. They bear fruit with patience. Now, if you look back through some of the things Jesus said in more than one or two places, he was big on fruit. He talked about it. He's talking about it here. He talked about it in John chapter 15. He said, my father's glorified when you bear much fruit. He said it over and over in John chapter 15, eight or nine times in just a few verses that you bear fruit, that you bear fruit, that you bear much fruit. You got to ask yourself, why is Jesus so emphatic about you and I bearing fruit? Well, think about the picture he's painting. If you walk up to a tree and it's got a bunch of fruit 
hanging off every limb, off every branch. Whatever it is, if it's apples, you, you, you don't walk up to that tree and go, I wonder what kind of tree this is. You don't have to wonder, do you? You don't have to guess. You don't have to speculate. Why? There's fruit. The fruit is proof. The fruit hanging off every branch is proof. Proof of what? Proof that at some point a seed got sown, right? Now, maybe you weren't the one who sowed it. Maybe you weren't even there when it got sown. Maybe you weren't even born when it was sown. But the fruit is proof that a seed got sown. The fruit is proof that the seed took root. The fruit is proof that the seed began to grow and it sprouted up. The fruit is proof that time went by and this thing grew and it grew. The fruit is proof that there was so much life in those roots and up that vine that eventually that life overflowed and the fruit is proof of all of that. So now you can see why Jesus is so emphatic about you and I bearing fruit, bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Why? Because you're proof. You are the evidence. Have you ever heard anybody say, prove to me there's a God and I'll believe? Well, it's supposed to be you. You are supposed to be the proof. God is not opposed to proving it. Now, he doesn't do it the way everybody's asking for it. But he has put the seed of his word in the ground of your heart. And if it's good ground, then that seed will take root. It will sprout up and it will bear much fruit. And you and I will become living proof. There's a God. There is a God. That should be what your life declares with every breath you breathe. There is a God. With every word of grace and love and kindness that comes out of your mouth, there is a God. And hey, listen, a lot of people knew you before. They knew you before you knew Jesus. And now they know you after. And they're going, there's got to be a God. <laughs> there has got to be a God. You see that guy? He was the biggest jerk I'd ever known. Look at him now. Kind, tender-hearted, loving, gracious. He's a giver. There's got to be a God. Your life and mine is supposed to be proof, fruit, that there's a God. But not just that there is a God, but that he's a God of love and he's kind and he's gracious. And, and when the fruit of his spirit is it work in our life? That fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of it, proof. There's a God. There's a God and he loves me and he loves you. So you can see why Jesus is saying here again, good ground are those who heard the word, they keep it, they protect it, they guard it, and they bear fruit, but listen to this word, with patience, patience, patience. Part of good ground, you see in contrast to what Jesus said, those who heard it and it didn't have much earth, it didn't go down deep, it sprang up, they received it with joy and that's great, but when perse persecution and tribulation came, immediately they got offended and they quit. Just back up a couple of verses and you see what he's talking about. 
Into verse 13, he said, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And that's a good response. That's the way you and I are supposed to receive the word. But he said, these have no root who believe for a while and in a time of temptation fall away. Um, it's Matthew's account. In verse 20, he said, he who received the seed on stony places, this is, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. You notice these two phrases, who believe for a while, they endure for a while. Contrast that with patience. Now we're going to have to go to work right away undoing and rewiring the way we think about patience. You can tell because of how excited you got when I said <laughs> patience, patience. When people think of patience, immediately they think of waiting. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm being patient because I'm waiting. Well, there is a biblical waiting, but man, it is not what most people are talking about when they say, I'm waiting on God, just waiting on God. You could be waiting and patience have nothing to do with who and what you are at that time. Patience actually means, if you look it up, cheerful endurance. So when you think of patience, there's two words today I want to come to your mind right away. Endurance and expectation. Let's talk about endurance. Patience has less to do with waiting and more to do with the condition in which you wait. How you wait. Because like I said, you could be waiting. I'm waiting. Staring at your watch, tapping your foot, rolling your eyes, heavy sighing and breathing. Oh, I'm just waiting. This is not patient. This is not patient. And you could do this day after day after year after year after decade after decade. And there be no patience in it. Just because you're waiting doesn't mean you are patiently waiting. See, it has less to do with waiting and more to do with the condition in which you wait. Cheerful endurance. And Jesus said the problem with that stony ground is people hear it and they receive it with joy. That's my word. Glory to God. I believe that. Yes. Amen. But they endure. Do you notice he used that word? Endure only for a while. In Luke's account, he says they believe how long? Only for a while. And don't you love just how totally ambiguous Jesus made that? A while, a while. Okay, well, Jesus, how long am I supposed to believe? How long do I have to stand? How long do I have to be in faith? I've been in faith for a long time. How long is a while? A while is anything less than all the way to the end. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.